welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, if you'll grab your Bibles, we're in Ephesians 4 this morning. And as we've been going through the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul has been teaching us about about walking in the Spirit, about how our lives, that we should have the Spirit and we should walk along with it like our relationship is this huge journey that we go on with God. And it it really is a journey, and and I love that we're calling the the men's ministry uh, journeyman's ministry. It has several different... uh, several different connotations here, but, but, you know, your walk with the Lord, it's not a sprint. If it was a sprint that we had to do, man, many of us wouldn't make it. You know, it, it's a long journey. It's a lifetime of walking with the Lord. And Paul wrote this letter to the, to the churches in, in, in uh, what they called Asia, Asia Minor back then. It's modern-day Turkey. And, and they just named it to the letter to the Ephesians. It was really meant to all those group of churches back at that time. But he spent three chapters talking about everything that God has done for you and I. Everything that that he could possibly imagine. That that we are a magnificent creation. That we are his workmanship. And all those things. He spent three chapters on that. And it was nothing for us to do in those three chapters. It was all done by God. But our part begins in chapter 4. And it's very important for those who, you know, those of us who have grown up in, in, in you know, works-based religion. Maybe we've grown up in, in uh, you know, a really, uh, you know, churches, is you've got to do it this way. Or, you know, maybe even a Catholic background where you had to count so many beads, you know, you got to light so many candles, you got to pray so many prayers. Or maybe it was the perfect attendance, you know, attendance was everything in the church. And man, every Sunday they sat there and they took attendance. Oh. They're here. Check. And your goal was, man, I, I got to be there because I got to get that check mark. We've attached those things to our spirituality. We've attached those things to our relationship with God. And Paul has come and said, no, God has done all the work for you. There's nothing for you to do when it comes to, to making yourself better for God. In the sense of, you know, God won't like me if I don't do these things. And then Paul begins, and he says, walk worthy of your calling. And in chapter 4, he begins this journey. And those of us who like lists, how many, how many, you're a list person. Okay, if you're a list person, today's going to be good. You can take your piece of paper, put a line down the middle, because we're going to talk about shoulds and should nots. And, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of comparing, a lot of very specific things. Don't do this, but do this. And we're going to contrast how people without the Lord walk with those who who have had the Holy Spirit put in them and how we should be walking. But we only do this after we understand that God's grace is there for us. That there's nothing that we can do to, to make ourselves better for God. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves more acceptable for God. But because of what God has done for us, then we should do certain things out of our love for him. Verse 17 of of chapter 4, he begins. 
He says, so I tell you this and insist upon it, or insist, insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to the sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you have heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to the former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, we've got to start our list right there. We've got to go back to, to, to you know, verse 17 here. It says, So I tell you this, and assist, uh, assist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. And the word futility here, it's a great word. It means absence of values. It's, you know, it's kind of like, you know, what is life all about, you know, and, and pleasing yourself. It's, it's that instant and immediate gratification. And in fact, I heard on the news this week, and I, I kind of got me scratching my head. A lady in the Northeast had a ceremony. It's a wedding ceremony. She invited all her friends, and, and about 40 people showed up, and they brought gifts and everything. You know who she was marrying? Herself. The futility of their mind. Talking about pleasing yourself. I mean, now what happens when you get mad at yourself? What ha- I mean, the divorce proceedings are going to be pretty interesting later on. But it's that instant gratification, getting all you can, grabbing all out, you know, grabbing all you can, getting everything out of life. Experiencing everything. Good, bad, it doesn't matter because there's no absolutes, there's no truth in life. Well, who says this is bad? I mean, what you do? Well, I don't think it's bad, so therefore I can do it. It's that instant gratification. Does this sound like today's world? Paul dealt with the same things in the first century. Life has not changed. Pleasure was such a big deal. You know, you know the, the word heathen? You know, we kind of joke around, you do something, and you're like, oh, you, you heathen. You know, we kind of joke about it. Well, there's a group literally called the heathenist. They believed that you were supposed to eat, drink, and be merry. It was a part of their religion. You had to get out there and you had to party hard. And Paul would say, absolutely not. Paul is saying that is the futility of their mind. Verse 18, it says, They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Now that is a mouthful. Darkening in their understandings. I mean, the, the word darkened, it means, it means dulled or dimmed. I just replaced the headlights on my, on my truck because over time the oxidation on the lenses were dulled and dimmed and they, you know, they weren't bright enough. That's exactly what, you know, your life has become glossed over and oxidation has happened and, and it's become dulled. All the light has been turned down. But not in your house, not on your truck, in your heart, in your mind. Darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. The life of God is foreign to them. 
Moral things is not the language that they speak because their morality is not the same as yours. They're separated from the life of God because the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Now the word hardened is one of those words that can be translated in a, in a couple of different ways. You could use the word blindness there. In fact, some translations actually use the word blindness. You could use the word hardness uh, there. You know, the, the Greek word is porosis. It means blindness is one of the, the things. And it means like cataracts. And back then, do you know how they took care of cataracts? They literally took uh, uh, lava rock that was really sharp, uh, and, and they would scrape the eye. That's how they get rid of cataracts. So thank God that, that he's given us the ability not to do it that way. Now we use a really hard, sharp piece of metal. Same concept, just better refined, right? Yeah. But the word blindness here. You know, I have a grandmother, bless her heart. She is 94 years old. Now, about 10 years ago when she was 84, her, her eyes started getting kind of... Um, cataracts were coming in and all that but she didn't say anything to anybody because you know I, I don't know why she just didn't want to tell anybody so my parents went up to Oklahoma and they drove from Houston and went up to Oklahoma and they, they arrived and they got in there and they noticed a pair of binoculars next to her chair and they have a really long living room so one end of the living room is where the chairs have always been the other end of the living room is where the TV was and her TV, you know, she had a big cabinet TV and it went out. She's an old, you know, she, she lived on the farm. You know, you didn't just buy anything, you know, only if you absolutely needed it. So she had a little small TV she put up on, on top. But her, her cataracts were bothering her. My mom goes, well, well Geneva, what, what, why, why the, you know, the binocular things? She goes, well, it's hard for me to see the TV. She's literally putting the binoculars up to her eyes to watch TV. And my mom's, well, like, if you're having problems with your eyes, can't we go to the eye doctor? Ah, nah, nah. Well, finally, they took care of it. She can see better today than she has in, in 40 years. It's been calloused. It's been put over. Paul is saying the world has cataracts on their eyes. They cannot see clearly. They see light. They see motion. They see sort of a shape. But they can't see that they're living their lives in a way that's wrong. Now, another way of, you can use the word hardening or the hardness of the heart is, you know, you, there's different grades of stone. Did you, do you understand that? There's different hardnesses of stone, and they would use a lot of stone to build things. I mean, if you go over to the Middle East today, I mean, you go to Italy, you go to, to, to the, the, the Holy Land and different places, you'll see these, you know, magnificent buildings built out of stone. And some of them are still standing, and you're just amazed. Well, they used a really, really hard stone to build that. Now, other buildings that are crumbling apart, what kind of stone are they using? Not so hard. Having the right hardness in stone is really important. Having the right, right softness in our lives is really important. Paul is using it in the negative here. The hardness of the heart. But what he's talking about is, is the softness of a person's heart. That we need, to, we need to have the cataracts removed. We need to have a soft heart. But it's now become calloused. Verse 19, it says, Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to the sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. 
Now this is an interesting concept. Your past feeling, your past pain, this is like, you know, you're, you're, you're sitting there leaning on the cabinet and, uh, you know, the countertop and you got your, your hand right on the oven. I mean, not the oven, but the stovetop. And the stovetop is red as it can be. And your hand's just sitting right there, just burning away. And you don't even feel it at all. That's exactly what he's talking about here. You, they, you know, a person has their heart callous. They don't feel pain. They, they have no conscience. They do not feel guilty about their actions. And the longer a person walks like this, the more they do not feel in life. Don't walk in that place. Don't walk in that place where, where, where you know, where let your senses be dulled. Don't walk in that place where, where things start to not offend you anymore. You know, at one point in life, you would have walked out of that movie if that scene would have been there. But now you've kind of gotten used to it. You know, uh, you know, certain shows on TV, man, the heart says don't, yet you do. Well, why is that? Because the hardening of our heart. Paul is saying, the more you do this stuff, the more you are no longer offended. Don't allow the world to dictate what offends you. Just one generation ago, if you would have told them back then what would be on TV in the year 2012, they would have laughed at you. They would have said, no way that would ever be allowed on TV. Yet we see it today. Paul is saying, don't allow the hardness of your heart and the blindness, and the, you know, and the blindness to control your lifestyle. He says, walk this other way. Do not walk and the futility of your mind. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to the sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. This is a lifestyle of no boundaries. This is a lifestyle of no morals. You know, everything is okay. You have to be politically correct. And Paul would say, it's a time to get the stuff out of our lives. You know, so often people will say, well, gosh, I don't, I don't really know how this sermon applies to my life. Well, this morning is not one of those, let me guess how this applies to my life. This ought to be obvious to all of us. We have stuff in our life that is starting to hold us back in our relationship with the Lord. If you have stuff that is dragging you down, oh, that the Spirit of God would speak to you today and say, get that out of your life. Why in the world are you allowing this into your life? This reminds me of, uh, of, of something I, I read you know, a few years ago, and it was a, an older lady. She was all excited. Uh, uh, her husband, had, she wasn't excited about this, but her husband had passed away. And, and, but she was all excited because she was a grandmother, and she wanted to spend more time with the grandkids. So she went out and bought a boat. She's very proud of herself. She took it out to Lake Isabella. She got it down to the lake and put the boat in the lake and then went and parked her car and went back and got the boat and got out there and just jammed and, and she started going. But she noticed that she wasn't moving very fast. About an hour later, man, she, you know, she, she's running out of gas. So she goes to the dock and, and there's a few men there and, and she goes, well, you know, can you check out my boat? It's brand new. Can you figure out what's going on with it? And they're checking everything. They're checking the hose. Is she getting the gas? Yeah, the gas can's almost empty. They're checking every, you know, is the anchor out? You know, no, the anchor's in the boat. So finally one guy just dives under the trailer. 
or under the boat. Come to find out the trailer had been left attached to the boat. Yeah. I mean, I imagine the fish. What in the world is that, you know, as it goes by? Man, but we're like this woman, aren't we? Oh, no, 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 no. That's my trailer. Well, why are we dragging it through life? Why are other Christians just zooming right by me on the lake? I don't get it. They're out there having fun, and my boat can barely go. Well, dive underneath your boat. Find out if you have a trailer attached. Maybe you're dragging it around. Today is the day to turn back on some things. Today is a day that you can choose. I'm no longer going to drag that around. Paul is going to get very specific here in a way that, you know, that, that we should not walk the way the world does. That has no God but themselves. You know, we are not walking with those that have no conscience. We have one. We are taken over. We are enveloped. We are, something has been put in deep inside of us when we've become a Christian. And that thing is called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is, it helps us release the trailers that we're dragging around in life. And some of us, because of the sin of our past, we've built up these calluses on our eyes that hold us back. We have this beautiful boat to drive around the lake. And all I need to do is take off the trailer so I can enjoy this life just as much as I'm going to enjoy the next life. The term heaven on earth. We think, oh yeah, I just can't wait to get to heaven. You can enjoy part of that life here today if you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Verse 20. You, however, did not come to know Christ this way. Surely you have heard of, him, uh, heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to the former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Look at how he does this. He is going to tell us to put off something. And then he tells us to put on something. And then he tells us to put something away. This is going to be easy to remember. The Christian walk is putting off something putting on something, and putting something away. First of all, he, he tells us, and if you're taking notes, it's a good time to start jotting them down, to put your old self, or to put off your old self, which is being corrupted. You know, Paul is really cool here. He refers to the guy he was as a young man, as the old man. You know that young man? That is my old man, Paul is saying. And you see this old man right here? I'm talking about Paul now. See this, young, <laughs> this old man right here? That's my new man. What he's saying is, I'm putting the ways of, of this old man away. It's a battle every day. If, you know, if I don't, it will corrupt me. 
Don't you wish as a Christian that you would, could just get rid of some of the old habits that you had in your life? Maybe, maybe come to, to God later in life. You know, you think for those that came to God as, as kids through, you know, children's church or Sunday school, and then, you know, they've had it all their lives, and they come to God, you think, man, they have it easy. Well, let me tell you, it's not so easy, because you get to that age where you have to make decisions for yourself, and then you still have to decide. But maybe you came to God, you know, later in life, and you're sitting there going, man, I wish I could just get rid of these habits and just start having a blast with the Lord today. But to have a victorious life, to win in this life, you have to continually put off the old man to say, that is not how I live. That is not how I'm going to speak. That is not how I'm going to make decisions. It's not how I'm going to entertain myself. It's not how I'm going to treat my wife. It's not how I'm going to treat my kids. It's not how I'm going to treat my neighbor. It's not how I do business. Why? Because that was the old man, that was the old self that I'm putting off. Paul took three chapters to get to this. Now, too many of us ignore the three chapters about what God has done for us and how he feels about us. And we jump right in to, to, the, to do this, you know, so we become frustrated because religion becomes about cleaning up our act. Reality, that's backwards. We have to learn that God loves us so much. And through that love, we start to see how we're living as, man, you know, this one thing, God's not going to be pleased with that because he loves me so much. I need to start changing that because I want to please God. It's not a have to. It's not a rule. It's, not a, it's a desire that we want to be with God, that we want to please God because he loves us so much. We begin to understand that we've got to put off our old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. You know, that is the truth. Our desires are so often deceitful. It's like a, like a spouse cheating on their mate. It starts with the desire that is deceitful. It starts with that, I have my needs and this person's not meeting my needs and I think this other person might be able to meet my needs. And it's that immediate gratification. It's a deceitful desire that wrecks our lives all for a temporary pleasure. There are all kinds of deceitful desires. I mean, when we say the words, you know, lust and desires, we automatically think sexual, right? I mean, that's the way the world has made it. But man, I mean, there's all sorts of deceitful desires, I know how broke I am, but, you know, I know I can't afford it, but I'm going to go ahead and buy it anyway. Someone else's possession, why? Well, you know, I want it. I'll just take it. There are all these lies out there. And they use lust and desire for us to want it. That's what TV advertising is all about, right? Oh, man. If you just buy this product, you're going to look like this man or this woman on TV. Yeah, right. Now you, you, they have all these, you know, I started this Bowflex machine and look at me and they're all like ripped and, you know, they don't have a six-pack. They, they got a 12-pack and going on a 36-pack. I mean, they're, they're ripped. And I used to look like this and they have a picture of them. They, you know, they look like me. You know, they got a little, <laughs> little weight on them. Right? Okay, wait, well, I shouldn't say that, huh? But you know what happens? They go out and get these bodybuilders and they pay them to gain weight and then they take a picture of them. 
And then they go, okay, now it's time to lose weight, and they work themselves to death because that's what they love to do, and then they end up looking all great and everything. They're playing on our desires. I mean, we could be here all day talking about this stuff, but I want to get on to the other part. Verse 24, it says, and uh, and to, um, oh, let me go back up. There we go. Verse 24, it says, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, righteousness is right standing before God, no longer afraid of him. God is not mad at us, and, and, and so many of us think that God is mad at us. God gets angry at sin. And we're going to talk about anger and righteous anger here in a second, but God hates those things. But you personally, God loves. He is not mad at us. Because through Christ, we have this righteousness and we have this holiness that is in us. Holiness is where God purifies us. He sets us apart for his service, that we can serve him in this life. We have a desire put in us by this Holy Spirit that says, I want to be holy. This is what counteracts our lust. This is what counteracts our desires. And we need to ask for God's strength to be holy because we need to choose holiness. We need to choose righteousness in this life because in the long run, life is so much better, so much richer, so much fuller, and it's free of remorse. Don't walk in your old ways. We're supposed to put off your old self, which is being corrupted, and to put on the new self, created to be like God and true righteousness and holiness. Then he says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. You know that some people are admired for the way they lie. Oh, man, you can lie pretty good. I can't tell you're lying at all. Politicians. Unfortunately, it kind of goes the whole gamut. We love to rag on politicians, don't we? Oh, man. But lying, you know, you, you know s- s- some businesses get more by, by lying. They get more money out of you. You know, you get promotions if you're good at it. Lying is actually rewarded. To be a terrible liar, that is a great attribute. When you can read it on your face that you're lying. We are to speak truthfully. To our neighbor, for we are all members of one body. And then it says, in your anger. Well, wait a second. The Bible just told me that I can be angry? It is scriptural. In your anger, do not sin. See, we have to attach the rest of that sentence to the first part. Anger is okay. Righteous anger is a biblical concept. It is what drove the prophets to go against those that were going against God. It's what drove the Lord to act certain ways at certain times. It's what drove Jesus to the cross because he was angry with the sin in this world. But sinful anger is a whole other category. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Now, this is an interesting concept because, you know, that we should live our lives, you know, in this way. Because I tell you, people can do stuff to us, right? How many of you, okay, no, I won't do that. 
I want to say, how many of you have really been offended this year? Uh, you don't have to raise your hands. I've had some conversations with people. I, I've experienced it over the past year myself that I've been totally offended. Up one side, down the other. And you're sitting there going, I can't believe this. Now, we can be mad at them for the rest of our lives and be justified about it. Completely, 100% justified. And then the Bible says, don't let your son go down while angry. Now, many people take this to, to mean, don't go to sleep while angry. This doesn't necessarily mean, oh, you need to run to the other person and figure it all out and get it all settled before you go to bed. Now, if you can accomplish that, great. But some issues are bigger than just, let me go and we'll get it to settle before the sun goes down. This means that we need to let go of the anger that's associated with whatever's happening in our lives. Because most of the time, it's for our own health. Be angry and do not sin. I can tell you from experience, I've had somebody come to me and say, you know, I was angry about, you know, about this issue with you for, for however long. And I went, really? I haven't even thought about that in years. They're angry. They're holding on to the angry, and it's, and, it's, and it's hurt them. We need to not do that. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Don't give the devil the opportunity. Do you know that in rock climbing, all you need is a, a little hold, a little just ledge that your fingers or your foot can get into to continue to go? You don't need a whole big ledge. Now, if I was rock climbing, I'd like to have ledges. About every three feet up, I could just keep going. You know, I mean, there's a, there's a place called Mount Diablo. I, I know, Devil Mountain, Mount Diablo up in, in the Bay Area. That, that, they, they call it Rock City, and it's all these sandstone rocks. It's really cool. You go up there, and some, you get up on top of this little crevice, and you're looking down going, if I fall, I'm probably going to die. But it's a lot of fun. But it gently goes up. And it gently goes back down. I don't have to have all these huge, you know, these, these footholds and crevices to get up it. Now once, when I was a youth pastor, a family said, hey, my son's having a birthday party. It was a bunch of sixth graders, and, and that's always fun. Um, and we went up to Mount Diablo. Well, they went around the edge and down, and they saw this crevice, and they thought, oh, we're going to climb up this crevice, and then we can get up top. Well, one of the kids, he was kind of a short kid, he got up this crevice pretty good, a lot of handholds, but then he got to the smooth part of the rock, and he's looking down, and he froze. So literally, he's sitting there, I mean, just almost curled up, just hugging the rock. I mean, there's nothing to hold on to, and he froze completely. Now, I don't like heights, but all the Moms are sitting there looking at me. Well, aren't you going to solve this? You're the pastor. Oh, man. Luckily, I'm a little taller than him. There was a couple of footholds, a couple of handholds. I kind of shimmied down, grabbed a hold of them, and drug them back up. All you need is a little foothold. When we live in a way that allows the devil to get a foothold, we have all these notches all over us that the devil uses. The anger inside of us will eat us up because the devil allows it to. Let the Lord smooth out those notches. 
so that the enemy can't get to you. Verse 28, he says, He who has been stealing must no longer, or must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. You know, we, we know the Apostle Paul valued hard work. We saw that he was a tent maker. He lived that way. He says, if you steal, you need to stop stealing. If you lie, you need to stop lying. If you have sinful anger, you need to stop having sinful anger. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Paul uses the word here, unwholesome. It's sapros. In the Greek, it means rotten. It means spoiled. This is like when I let some meat stay down in my meat drawer a little too long, and you open it up, and you open the package, you're like, whoa, I'm not going to eat that. Here, Mr. B, you go, okay, you eat it. The Bible says, out of our mouth, our heart speaks. The reality is, if we have unwholesome talk in our lives, it's coming out of our mouth. What is really unwholesome? It's our heart. It really is. That's where it comes from. You will know when you're starting to mature in life because you start to sound more gracious. This could be language. This could be attitude. You know, some parents tend to talk down to their children. And I'm not talking about instruction. Don't, don't get me wrong. There's times when we have to instruct our children. And they feel like we're talking down, right? I know there's times when my dad was instructing me and I was just like... Arr. You know, he wasn't talking down. He was trying to teach me. Now, there's other times when, okay, well, you, know, you understand what I'm saying. But I'm talking about the, the attitude of, you're good for nothing. Luckily, my father never did that. But some of you might have grown up with that. Words that are demeaning and corrupt, they're unwholesome. And as we mature, we begin to break that cycle. And we start to edify, we start to build up and not tear down. This is tough, isn't it? Especially if you've grown up a certain way. Because, I mean, to show your anger, to, to show you're a part of the group or accepted, you use language a certain way. The Holy Spirit has got to be the one to help us break these cycles. Because the Lord is the one that changes hearts. We can't do it on our own. And then when my heart is changed, when you bump me, what sloshes out? What spills over? The good stuff, not the unwholesome stuff. Now, yesterday, it's kind of ironic. The Lord does this all the time to me. And I'm like, Lord, why do you have to do this to me? But yesterday, I was supposed to have an appointment with somebody who was supposed to come to my house between 8 and noon, and that's always aggravating. But they did say, hey, they would call ahead of time and let you know a more precise time. So I waited, and I waited, and I waited. 1210 comes along, so I call the 800 number. Hey, they're supposed to be here. And the guy goes, well, let me check with the dispatcher. And I'm on hold for seven seconds. And he comes back on, oh, they're running late. They'll be there by 1.30. I'm calculating my head going, okay, that, that's fine. Three o'clock rolls around. 
call the 800 number. And I get a lady, and she goes, you had an appointment today? (laughs) Yes, ma'am, I had an appointment today. Now, in my head, I'm screaming at them. And then I get transferred, and I get transferred, and I get transferred, and finally a lady comes on. And we get it all figured out. Somehow, when they set up the appointment, they hit the wrong button, and it closed out the appointment. Like, hey, it's all done. But it wasn't done. And the lady told me on the phone, she goes, I appreciate you not getting mad and screaming when you had justification to do that. Now, I'm not saying that, oh, I'm so great, because I don't always do that. Sometimes I get frustrated and my anger shows. But as we mature, the Holy Spirit starts coming out of us. That's how we should act. I told the lady, I said, well, there's other things to be upset about in this world, and this is not one of them for me today, at least today. We need the good stuff to come out of us when we're hit, not the unwholesome stuff. Verse 30, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The word grieve here means to make sorrowful, to make sad or to make anger. Don't make God sad. Don't make God sorrowful. Don't make God angry by our actions. You know, God is really big and we are really small. It's good not to make God angry, isn't it? First, let me remind you of something. One, God is slow to anger. Two, he is fast to compassion and mercy. We need to understand that because he's slow to anger. However, there are several times in the Bible where God starts to show his anger. Idolatry is one of those. Putting something in between us and God. God gets angry about that. That's that righteous anger that we're talking about. What else? Well, God got angry at his, you know, his children when they complained about what they, you know, he was providing for them in the desert. And, you know, we think after 40 years they're going to complain. Yeah, but we're talking after several weeks they were complaining. God got angry about that. And if you're a parent, you understand this. Or if you provide for somebody else and they complain about the the food that you put on the table, you get a little angry about that. If someone has ever been ungrateful to you for what you've done for them, you get a little bit of feeling of how God feels sometimes. And it can get to sin pretty quickly. You're not going to eat this? You You better open your mouth, you little brat. Now, I haven't said that to my son yet (laughs) hopefully never but you understand if you've ever had a child you understand sometimes the feelings of God it upsets the Lord when we act like this to him oh Lord you didn't give me a good enough car oh Lord you didn't give me a good enough job oh Lord you didn't give me a big enough house oh Lord you know I wish I had her hair look at my hair this upsets the Lord Jesus came to reveal the Father, and several times we see his anger. He got angry at his friend Peter. You know, Peter came to him, and, and, you know, and he should have just hushed, you know. But then he started correcting what, you know, the Lord, you should be doing this and, and that and this. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, what? Satan. Now, it's a clue to you that you upset the Lord when he calls you Satan. Why was Jesus angry? Because, you know, Peter was telling God how to do it. 
that righteous anger. It's okay to have that righteous anger. But the world says, oh, you're a New Testament Christian. You can't get angry. You know, it's got to be all about love. You can't, you know, you've got to be tolerant of everything, i.e. there is no sin in this world, and you have to accept what we're doing. You know, you can't hold anything like marriages between a man and a woman. That is so Old Testament. You need to be New Testament, which is love. Well, I'm sorry. It's biblically incorrect. Another time he got angry is when, you know, when he was in the temple. Why? Because the religious leaders were profiting from God. Try, you know, for, I mean, profiting from God and people trying to worship God. Now, I don't mean the salary they're living on. I'm talking about they were cheating the people. And it made God angry. He said, you have made the Father's house a den of thieves. Jesus got angry at, you know, with the hardness of the hearts. One person in Capernaum, his hand was all deformed. And we don't know if he was born like that or if an accident happened, but he, he basically stood up in, in, you know, on the Sabbath in the church and said, does anybody mind if I heal this guy? And no, it was like dead silence. And not a good silence, but a dead, bad silence. And he got mad at the hardness of the hearts because they were all thinking, you shouldn't do any work on the, on the Sabbath because that was considered work, healing a person. You know, God can work around people who resist him, but it makes him angry when that resistance is in the people that call him Lord. Search your heart today and ask, Lord, am I resistant to you? If I am, just tell me. I don't want to make you angry. I don't want to make you sad. You know, another thing that made him angry is being a hypocrite. It just makes him mad. He hates it when we wear masks. We act one way, but we feel a totally another way. Not being truthful. It really, really grieves him. The Lord would rather be, you know, you be to, to be real and rough edge than be fake and all polished. I mean, look who Jesus hung out with. Did he hang out with the religious leaders that looked all great and they're all their great robes and all that? No, he was with those that had rough edges. Well, let's finish up here. And it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And he uses the word seal here. And remember, we talked about this. A buyer would go buy merchandise for his, for his master and they would put a seal on it. You know, they'd, uh, you know, they'd melt wax and he'd put the official seal on it. When it arrives by UPS, you know, 2,000 miles away, you know, across the ocean, they would look at the label the seal, and they said, oh, this belongs to so-and-so. Jesus has put a seal on us, and that seal is the Holy Spirit in our lives. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with envy, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ forgave you. Well, let's review really quick. What is it that we're putting off in our life? Corruption, anger, malice, corrupt words and actions and our activities, not believing deceitful desires and lust, the old way of lying and stealing and cheating, the bitterness, we try to resolve that. That attitude of, I'm not going to have anything dragging me down in this world as I'm tooling around the lake and enjoying life. What am I putting on? The new man who is righteous 
and holy, who works hard, who builds people up, being careful about the words that come out of my mouth, being kind to one another, being tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God forgave you. Now that's where we're going to pick up next week. Hmm. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you help me and help us here in this church look in our own hearts and figure out what do you not want? What do you not like? What are you angry about that's in our lives? What actions do we have? That as we put off our old self, our self before we came to you, and we put off our old ways and we start to, to, to think about how you want us to act as we put on a new man, a new woman, who is of you by the Holy Spirit. I pray that you give us that strength to, to examine our lives and ultimately become more like you in this life, that we can enjoy this life. We, we, we go along in this, we can speed, uh, speed ahead just like everybody else and we don't have the trailer hooked to our boat as we're in the lake, Lord. Thank you so much for loving me no matter what's going on in my life. That no matter what has happened, you have this love for me that's insurmountable. It's unbelievable. And I pray, Lord, that my actions reflect your love in my life. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you as you're on this journey in becoming more like him. His face will never turn from you. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.